Hello to all our listeners. Welcome to the Far From Eden podcast, where I, Michelle Marufu, enter into conversation with various guests on how we tackle all the gray areas in our lives and thoughts with what appear to be black and white rules and regulations. Thanks for joining us and hope you join in on the conversation on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Please find the handle in our description and enjoy the episode. Welcome to our pilot episode of Far From Eden podcast. I am very excited to welcome all my new listeners and welcome my first guest on the show, who, have, who just happens to be my younger brother. So <laughs> I think um, it'll become clear over the course of the show that we grew up together, but we're also entirely different in so many ways. So I, myself, my name is Michelle Marufu. I'll be hosting this podcast week after week to talk about um, all the things that we don't necessarily talk about on a daily basis that do make our lives so many shades of gray um, and trying to fit that into the black and white rules that we seem to be given, um, majority of which are based on religious practices and that transform into tradition and um, general laws of society or the social contract and the like. It'll all make sense as we start talking about it. I'll have different guests on a weekly basis. And yeah, like I said this week, I'm starting with my younger brother, Denzel, who I'll let introduce himself. Uh, hello, I am Denzel. As you heard, I'm Michelle's younger brother. I'm currently studying psychology and politics at Lake Forest College in Chicago. So yeah, that's where I've been the last uh, year. Yeah, and um, you're you said you're based in Chicago. Just to give our listeners more of an idea of who you are, like just let tell us more about your interests and um, yeah, what brought you here? Why you even agreed to discuss on on the podcast before we get into the topic? Oh, okay. Uh, I'm a huge sports fan. Uh, yeah, I, I like essentially every sport. I like. Um, music i love philosophy i love psychology those are my academic interests and uh, and politics of course as well and i think all of them have a central point which is you know to understand uh, behavior and to understand systems that govern behavior so it's uh, kind of my way of trying to uh, understand the reason why things are and the reason why things evolved in this way using you know philosophical psychological and political means so it's uh, a uh, more abstract way of trying to understand the hum- human behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, in that sense, Denzel and I have similar interests. That's why today we thought it would be a great idea to start off the podcast discussing um, the necessity or inevitability of religion in human organization. So basically our conversation will um, be tackling the way institutions are set up and whether or not we are still practicing the religion of God or we're practicing the religion of human beings and how like how those intersect or how sometimes they're the same and sometimes they're different, um, how maybe religion is more of a need for structure right now. And yeah, we'll just, uh, throughout the podcast, we'll just be dealing with those questions and also exploring where we stand in religion because, um, we were both raised within the, the, the same religion. We grew up Christian and Methodist, but we've obviously learned different things from it and um, tackled it differently over our lifespan and over our different experiences because we're not in the same place right now. Um, we've separated at a younger age and the like, so you're going to find very different opinions on that. But yeah, I guess where we can start is just stating our religious background and the current standing um, that you have right now. Like I said, we're we're Christian. I'm I'm still practicing Christianity. I don't necessarily go to church anymore. I do listen to quite a few Christian podcasts and I'm trying as best as I can to tackle it from a more um, practical day-to-day point of view. Um, and as I stand, I'm still like I'm I'm still very much on the Christian lens, but still trying to figure out where I stand, especially when it comes to churches, because I did grow up in a traditional church setting. We grew up Methodist, and um, 
as time went on, I started questioning more about the church as opposed to the religion. So I'm still trying to weigh where church and religion intersect for me as a person and whether the rules and the laws and the like are what I want to live by. Um, yeah, And whether I can live by um, Christianity separate from the church. I'm navigating that right now. So that will come up a lot um, over the course of the conversation. Yeah. Kenzo? Yeah, as you said, we grew up in a similar, similarly religious environment, but I think I have a, a less of presupposition to religion than you have in the sense yeah. that uh, I kind of shifted away much earlier, I would say, because I'm, well, I, I'm very skeptical of religious institutions in general, and I'm very skeptical of the teachings of Christianity. For, you know, uh, I am sometimes quite science-oriented well, science in the sense that I like to study behavior from like a psychological point. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I, I look at Christianity in a way that kind of opposes lots of things that are fundamental to, you know, the human spirit and human evolution in the way it teaches things. And uh, we could get more into that later, but that's just a summary of it. So therefore I'm not one to advocate, so I'm not very religious, but I am deeply, deeply, uh, deeply aware of the importance of religion when it comes to uh, regulating emotional vulnerability and when it comes to organizing people. Mm -hmm. And it can be used for both of those things in a positive or negative way as history has shown. And that's why as much as I am not one to like advocate for for you know, Christianity and stuff, I think religion in, in general is deeply, deeply necessary and inevitable. Okay. Um, and you, like, you've, you've brought up a couple of points that I guess we'll have to explore over the course of the conversation. But the first one I wanted to ask you is, you, you seem to have a separation of religion from the human spirit, so to speak. I think that's one of the first things that you said, that there's... Um, um, it doesn't connect for you, like the, the way it's framed and um, the way human beings, you think human beings are psychologically and stuff. Like what, what, like, could you go more into that? What do you mean by that? I think, well, I think the misconception that people have about morality in general and how we govern ourselves that we're deeply religious from the onset and that uh, for, you know, biological and bioevolutional by evolutionary reasons, we are subconsciously acting in ways that, you know, imitate religious movements. Uh -huh. One of the ways that I think uh, all religions have, or the common base from which all the old texts and all scriptures have, is the fundamental list meaning of life, uh -huh. in which life is suffering in itself. And the Christian version of that is, you know, embodied through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, um, such examples, things like, you know, wielding the cross on your back, etc., wielding metaphorically the cross of life or the, the burden of life on your back is something. And um, another thing is, you know, the revelation, I think it's hugely important and usually under, like, it's not spoken about enough, really, because that's the one place where God is a judge. And then the necessity of living is to have an some sort of ideal and in Christianity, that is God. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you must have an idea and you must work towards that. However, well, I think those there are lots of lessons, of course, that I think the Bible has spot on, which is why it's been around for so uh -huh. long. It's, you can't escape the lesson that it does. But I think I have a problem with the way in which it tries to escape, uh, or at least the way it's taught, because I think the Bible itself and the way it's taught differ a uh -huh. lot, uh -huh. especially recently. Uh -huh. Uh, the way it is, as you know, Karl Marx called it an opioid for pain. And I think that's how it's taught in churches, but that's not actually what it is. Because, as I said, the Bible teaches you about facing such things like suffering, deceit, mm -hmm. resentment and stuff. But the way it's taught is almost um, a very, you know, softened uh, Sunday school kind of thing. Like, uh, you know, slap if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek, things like that. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of shows a misunderstanding of the human psyche and i think it's it's almost a fear to delve into evil mm -hmm. because one of the things that i deeply 
uh, have been looking into is the human capacity for malevolence. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the problems that we have lately are because people don't understand the ca- their own capacity for evil. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. only look at other people's capacities for evil, right? I mean, that's how can you consider yourself good if you don't have the capacity mm-hmm. to be bad? That's that's just a terrible way of understanding the human psyche. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, one of the things that I think the Bible or the way it's taught struggles with is that capacity for evil in itself mm-hmm. and that, oh, follow the, follow this rule mm-hmm. and you will be free from mm-hmm. evil. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, evil confronts us every mm-hmm. day and decisions, it is a conscious decision we make not to not do evil. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the main lessons in life, if not the most important thing other than the necessity of suffering, for example, that the Bible overlooks. And that's just one of the many examples where I, d- I you know, draw the line a bit. Yeah, I, I, I find the, the last part that you brought up about the fear of delving into evil pretty interesting because I think you and I have had very many conversations as well where um, we, we talk about the, what sounds like the romanticizing of darkness Right. And um, I know we've been through situations where we're like, okay, we really get into it and we really get into ourselves. Right. And we really um, immerse ourselves into that darkness and also fully understand the the so-called evil thoughts that we have or the like the the thoughts that um, maybe society doesn't approve of or we've been taught not to um think of or dwell on or what, what, what. And I think one of the things that we generally agree on is those processes are necessary right like that for me to for me to know how to be good i have to know my dark side right and be able to either overcome it or use it to my benefit right and um so from what you're saying i get the idea that you're uh you not not accusing religion as such but the way that the bible was taught of late uh forces people to run away from that so instead of tackling it and looking at it on an, from an honest perspective that, oh, these are the thoughts that I think on a daily basis and I need to remove them, I need to whatever, I need to whatever, you're instantly disapproved of from the beginning. So to the point where you just run away from it and you don't tackle it. And I think it's, it reminds me of something that I read from Friedrich Nietzsche about slave morality versus master morality. It's, it's, it goes far deeper than this, but it's in summary, it's almost like yeah. as like the slave morality is summarized as there are different rules for go- for good or, or, or bad depending on what class you come from, right? And um, I know he accuses most, certain religions of embracing what is slave morality because they embrace um, what you're terming as the struggle, as in your life is just supposed to be a burden and you being good is accepting that burden without any questions asked and being nice to people, even though you feel like you shouldn't be nice to people or doing this or doing that or doing that. It's almost like a no, it's a, it's a bad deal because it's a no questions asked thing, right? It's a dynamic where it's just, um, you do what you have to do because it is good and you don't really question it and you don't really, of which um, I think running away from that is what makes us yes men or the confusion, where the confusion comes from and, um and even mm-hmm. and and even de de like destructuralizes society as well when when things go wrong because you're not fully aware of what you're capable of of the evil you're capable of and you run away from it so much right that when it comes time for it to come out or when it over when it does overtake it completely overtakes because you were not able to ever put a control over that so in that sense like I I agree with you on on how the Bible is taught, because it's something that I'm facing where I I feel like a huge part of myself was put aside for a long time because it's not how I was supposed to live, simply because that's what I was taught the Bible says, right? But then the more I read it, the closer I read it, the what what it has these weird allowances for for that stuff. It has allowances for um for exploration. Which brings me to my next question. And you brought this up initially in your in your introduction, where the way it's taught, right? What is it taught for? And that's a question that I think we need to continuously ask, that the Bible itself is its own entity and it was written for for certain reasons, right? But now it's taught for certain reasons. And what in its teaching keeps us a certain way or forms us to be a certain way or, yeah, if we could get into that. 
I think uh, one thing uh, you mentioned, you know, Nietzsche's slave morality. I think one thing that he he brought up, which is you know a word that's commonly used, he came up with it is resentment or like resentment. Mm-hmm. And he he wrote a lot about uh, that, especially he accused a lot of uh, Christian teachings of doing this. Mm-hmm. Is that all that pent up, all that uh, build up of um, you know resentment towards the people that. You know you could confront but then that you choose not to confront simply out of you know the goodwill of the lord and things like that mm-hmm. is that as you said you know it, it builds up into some explosive force that results in a lot of chaos within your own life simply because you fail to understand the necessity of exhibiting such violence or such malevolence right to to the outer world and um one thing that the that differs from how the bible was taught then to how it was taught now because i think so um you know socioeconomic development has a lot to do with this you know that when the resources are scarce right uh-huh. uh people tend to group in collective means i think that's you can see the trend of that like yeah. the slightly less developed cultures tend to be more collective than yeah yeah i think that's a that's like goes for it. that that's that's obvious and one thing that the medieval or not medieval but uh centuries ago due to this collective stance religion was used more almost as a collective means by which to have some sort of belief Mm -hmm. in order for people to gather and obtain resources efficiently so it was essentially a way for us to be collective in a way that enables us to follow a a specific path Mm -hmm. and specifically a moral order because you know when when resources are scarce you can imagine that morality goes out the window. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a way to govern in, and try to inhibit, you know, try to, uh, sorry, uh, hinder like our an- animalistic spirit and, you know, our fighting sense and all that stuff that we're capable of. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's more, because we have reached a certain point where, you know, we're so developed. And I think that's a problem facing, honestly, a, a huge part of the population especially in the West, you know, the lack of meaning because everything is so straightforward and, and yeah. well, you know, we're built for struggle, essentially. I, we can, if, I think that's the one thing that uh, the old texts tell us as well, that we're, built, that we're built for struggle. And now religion has shifted much more to what Marx described, as I said, and what, um, oh, I forgot who said it, oh, Freud as well, mm-hmm. described as more as more of a, pain reliever it's like it's, it's um almost a way to escape nihilism because without that belief system and without something to or a pillar from which you can you know place your emotional burdens uh-huh. or from which you can like without having a leg to stand on emotionally then you'll fall so it's now acting almost as a cushion for people to you know lie down on in times of distress so it's shifted drastically due to socioeconomic change and the fact that it has shifted in meaning itself, I think, already shows how flawed it is. Mm-hmm. But uh, the institution and the fact that the institutions are profiting a lot from this, and we've seen a lot of stories, particularly in uh, societies that are, that are quite corrupt, of how it's being used negatively. So, uh, yeah, that's my take on the gap between the institutions and the action, and like the the you know personal use of religion. Yeah, like um, I'm, I'm finding what you're saying interesting. The the we're built for for struggle thing, right? Because it's 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 something that I've been exploring a little more as well. Because um, I've been reading John Maynard Keynes, and Keynes Keynes is he's an he's an economist, right? And one of the things that he does say, it, he strongly believes that the scarcity thing of scarce resources is only true because um, of lack of distribution of these things, right? So he believes that society is structured in a way that makes this true, that the the resources are scarce. And eventually we will get to a point where uh, struggle is struggling for resources is not a thing and we'll have to struggle for something else, right? And um, (laughs) I struggle with that because I'm like, okay, fine. Um, Then humans get to that point and then they have to find something else to to whatever to talk about. So it's it's almost like there's this, he he thinks while society right now thinks that 
um, struggling is inevitable and the scarcity rule is always going to exist, um, we will move past that and have to find something else to occupy our time with, to um, whatever, to explore, na 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 And like you're, you're rightfully saying that the way religion is structured is almost as an antidote to that struggle, like to, to, um, to make us forget about that pain temporarily and what, what, what. But I, I think even then, now, the, 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 there's a new wave that's coming in where I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say it's, it's necessarily, it's not being seen as an antidote to the pain as such or anything, but there's a new wave of like practical religion, right? Where it's, um, where there's more questioning even of the Bible characters, right? And I, I don't know whether this one is getting closer to, to God and further from the institutional way of seeing things, but like, I think the way it was taught before, right? Personally, from my experience is if you learned about a character like uh, Joseph, right? Joseph, Joseph had his, um, was it 11 or 12 brothers? And um, Joseph was th- thrown away and then ended up being a slave in Egypt and later on became Pharaoh. No, no, no. We know his basic story, the coat of many colors. And then I was listening to a preacher talk about how um, Joseph, the thing that God used in Joseph was his arrogance, right? So there's nothing, there's nothing different about Joseph in the way that he was, he was necessarily the most like faithful person or loyal servant or whatever it is. Joseph just happened to be an arrogant guy who likes to show off. So if he had a dream that made him feel special, he would run around the world telling everyone about it, right? And God knew that before um, giving him those dreams. God knew that that's what I, I needed to use for this I, I need to use that arrogance for this person to go places, right? Which brings me back to the separation of God from the institution because the institution makes things so clear-cut. So when we learn about Joseph, if you remember from Sunday school, it was always Joseph was just a faithful servant. So you be a faithful servant. Do you know what I mean? There was no humanizing mm. of the person or like you say, bringing back to the initial thing or being able to say people can delve into evil to find the good in that, right? And I guess my my question is, to what extent are institutions reliant on that, are reliant on dehumanizing the Bible, or dehumanizing God, or dehumanizing um, the process that you take to get to that point, or dehumanizing, I don't know, the process of good and evil, I, if you get what I mean? Yeah, I think the, sh- the short answer for that is if you recognize your own capacity for evil and and evil ties along with, you know, your capacity to, well, to die. You, I think if you recognize your capacity for evil, then death becomes much less of a threat to you, much less of a fear. I think if you get to that level, then really the emotional pillar that religion has is just not strong. It's just not as strong. Because I think what we've gone into is trying as much as we can. It's not just religion as well. I think we see this in a lot of movements that are happening these days that, uh, you know, people tag onto anything that seems trendy mm-hmm. or that seems that that's, that has some sort of, you know, virtue signaling to, you know, show that I'm a great person and that I care about others, that, um, you know, artificial stuff due to the fact that they are so terrified of their own evil, of what they can inflict. I think one exercise that I've learned through, uh, Oh, some lessons. Like if you watch the, you you are aware of the, you know, the Milgram experiments and the Stanford mm-hmm, Prison mm-hmm. experiments, for example. And those two experiments uh, showed the like outright human capacity for evil, even in a short term, like within a day or two, mm-hmm. and within hours. And that, I think those two are, those are probably the most fundamental in our sense of understanding evil. And also mm-hmm. another thing is, you know, people. I also I like using Nazi Germany a lot because I think that showed the true extent to which normal people can be evil. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I reference or when people think of Nazi Germany, they think, oh, why? A lot of people think, oh, why? Why didn't they just save the Jews? You know, I could have saved the Jews and mm-hmm. stuff. And it's a very, very poor way of understanding the human psyche. Is that the thing? Is it's not like these guys were, were terrible people either. Mm-hmm. At times, it's just I think if one can recognize their own capacity to under the under different environmental factors inflict horror upon others and 
through that upon themselves. Really, it just makes, if you can understand that aspect of life, then uh-huh. you start question, there's really, oh, well, you start to struggle to understand the necessity for religion in the first, well, as it is used now, because if something is running, it's, if it's running away from from a certain solution, right? Then you discover that solution. What's the point of following it? That's a simple way of looking at it for me. It's the and I I I hear I hear where you're coming from in the sense of like um, the way religion has been portrayed historically, and um, that like that reduction that we've been talking about the entire podcast from alienating it from the from the human psyche, so to speak. And I know we've 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 even discussed the book The Prince by Machiavelli. Right. And that that's one of those books that has been so um, villainized over time because it's it, it very much goes into human psychology and um, framing that within a political sense. Right. And a lot of people run away from mm-hmm. it because it reflects on the more darker side of the human being and the human psyche and et cetera, like you're like you're saying how but but my 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 thing, my 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 failure to understand and i guess even the reason behind this entire podcast right is these are parts when when a person creates you when a when a person creates a a robot or technology or a computer or whatever it is even when you draw a piece of art in most cases you're very aware of the the dis- the negatives of that piece of art so you you are very aware of that 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 dot that wasn't supposed to be there even if other people don't see it necessarily and um, even in even in classic religion, whether it's classic religion or contemporary religion, it's always been made clear that we were created in 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 God's image, right? So he's very aware of even the 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 deeper, the darker, the whatever parts, right? And even if you read the Bible, like you read the Bible on a personal level, you see that you see that he's aware of these things, right? And I, I posed this before, but I don't think we have a clear answer for it yet. Why is it that human beings, though, particularly, feel the need to alienate themselves from, from that part? If it's been so apparent to us, it's become so apparent even biblically, some of the stories, you can really see darkness is, is inevitable. We see it on a daily basis with, you're talking about um, how, um, so when certain... Uh, when certain things happen, occurrences in history, we see the evil of people coming out, even on a daily basis when you take that slice of cake that you know that your friend wanted. or And it's so natural. It's almost a, it's almost instinct. Or when you have to save yourself over someone else. Those are things that are so natural. But they've been portrayed as evil by society's standards, right? And that's what I, I've always tried to understand, that why is that necessary? Like, why do we have to even extract only the things from religion that makes those things seem like evil as opposed to part of nature? We have the likes of um, Thomas Hobbes who've been villainized their entire lives for pointing aspects like that out. You have Kant, Emmanuel Kant who's been villainized for, you have Machiavelli who's been villainized for pointing those aspects out. But that very much exists and that we continue seeing. And like you said, even the way we're living now, we've extracted so many things that we needed in our past. I remember talking to a friend about um, the, the, the recurrence of certain things like um, shootings or violence or what, what. And we were talking about how human beings as well used to hunt and they used to be able to take out that violence somewhere else. And all of a sudden, now we have all this pent up aggression that we have nowhere to take out, not to justify the act, but it's, it's part of it, right? It's part of the, the way humans have stopped um, evolving to something else. It's just, we feel stuck in a way. So I guess my question is how, why we don't feel that institutions allow for that and why it's necessary for society to deny those parts as opposed to embrace them in order to continue going, if that makes sense. Mm. Okay. Um... <laughs> I may have asked a very like loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna attack a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like some some examples. I think now we can see the way the particularly the left handles politics. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm talking about the radicals. You know, social justice warrior nonsense that that floats about generally. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think one thing that the institutions, because I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna talk about North America because those are the institutions where I think this is most prevalent the sense of nihilism because mm-hmm. I think all oh, this boils down to nihilism. That's the mm-hmm. like ultimate you know outcome of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think one thing people or humans fundamentally get wrong that I've always uh, noticed is they fail to differ between you know uh, compassion and uh, mm. efficiency like for example i know empathy is great for developing interpersonal relations and etc but pr- empathy doesn't help to develop complex political systems or complex institutional systems that can govern 326 million people for example you know mm-hmm. i think if we look at uh examples such as the you know the war on poverty the welfare states the the vouchers that were introduced in the 60s and stuff that tried to ensure that people uh, stayed in their homegrown universities and that uh, people who had single parents were taken care of, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, um, I think moves like that showed how ignorant we are of the fact that we don't recognize the necessity for certain certain, uh, degrees of rationale as opposed to compassion i think one uh, of the one of the problems with uh, developing societies but particularly the ones that are really socio socioeconomically developed is the lack of in you know individual everyday struggles uh-huh. where you find uh, you know the struggles get smaller as you know the society gets better i think and if you've had a and because things have moved so quickly things have evolved so quickly from like the 1900s to now we were built for hunting, gathering, you know, finding, uh, trying to find resources in scarce, you know, trying to find mm-hmm. as many resources as we can despite the scarce quantities. And all of that was mm-hmm. simply stripped away from us. So not only has that shifted the whole landscape of how we try to, you know, govern our own ethics and stuff, it's also made us try as hard as we can. And also things like, you know, information spread. We see, what happened in Nazi Germany and Stalinist Russia, Mao, China, and all the other terrible events, you know, Rwanda, Rwanda what happened there, apartheid, etc. Mm-hmm. We see them much more clearly. People are much more educated. So because these things are always in our face, we try to, as much as we can, to shift away from them. And through mm-hmm. that, that fierce attempt to shift away from these things, we start creating systems that are built on such, you know, soft, soft, um, mm. uh, built on such soft grounds, like, you can't mm-hmm. build a empathy and compassion are great motivators for something, but those are not the things that you build systems on. Mm-hmm. And I think when people talk about, you know, their own uh, institutions trying to, like for example, the Canada NC sixteen NCC NC six seventeen law, that uh, for, that essentially makes it illegal for someone to uh, call you a wrong gender pronoun, which is, well, that's just you know, fascism almost. Anyway, things like that, I think, show how insecure we are about our own uh, evils, particularly when they're broadcasted so, uh, when they're broadcasted worldwide now and how interconnected we are that, you know, globalization has its faults as well in that it's exacerbated this whole guilt thing because now you no longer see someone Mm. from... um, Israel is, you know, someone from the other side of the world, that person could be your roommate now and you see all the mm-hmm. stuff that has happened there and then you just automatically, it flicks in your mind that, oh my God, this was inflicted by so-and-so group. I feel guilty about it, that kind of thing. And I think mm-hmm. our interconnectedness has exacerbated that, I would say, and that has spread into our institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, like a, the, a key part that I'm taking from what you're saying is that we... The, the runaway, I think and even in, in response to my question, the running away from those like darker elements of human being are creating institutions that are not founded on anything firm, right? So it's like there's yeah. no, it's, I, I think what you're calling for is an awareness of what drives the human psyche and in, like in, in, in as a whole, not just the positive parts that you've worked on and covered up for and what what because i think aspects like there's a lot of things that come to us naturally right like aspects like aspects like empathy and compassion 
do come there's a there's a there's a hint of them i think in all of us even from the time that we're born there's been studies done even on on babies and the like but also aspects such as selfishness right come just as naturally and ignoring one for the other doesn't mean that the other is going to dominate automatically you have to address both quite equally for for to be able to coexist with other people in an in an honest sense and not just we have this tendency um to villainize people who exhibit one character or one trait over the other right as opposed to helping them and i think that's what you're saying when you say things like just simply um making something illegal doesn't mean that it's gone right it's not it's it's, it's there has to be more than that and there has to be an allowance for those for even those things to exist because they come just as naturally as being good or being compassionate or being um, uh, like um empathetic or being this or being that it's the evil just comes just as naturally and there's no point in 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 pushing that off and pretending that it doesn't exist because it it mm-hmm. will fester and i think we see it on a daily basis and we still refuse to have this conversation where it's like it still comes uh, not, out not only, and... not, not only that but also i you know, as, as you, uh, you also like John Stuart Mill, I think his idea mm. that, you know, we must push uh, free speech to the limits as long as it does not, you know, insinuate any physical violence. I think that's one thing that that allows is that I know it was very, mm. it was a very criticized idea, but that's like libertarianism to the, to the extreme in the sense mm. that even if someone does say something that it can be considered hurtful, offensive, whatever that uh, means in any particular aspect, Mm-hmm. how can you know the true extent how can you if you don't allow such things or allow statements that you know quote-unquote offend yeah. then yeah. you're living in a very narrow ethical realm in which essentially it's it's at some point it's going to be broken by even those within it and then you have to cast out those that yeah. are the so-called you know the people that live in that in that uh, within that realm and it's just going to be very yeah. uncomfortable for people to live in, in the long term. Whereas if you if you don't know the limit yet to your ethics, then yeah. they can be challenged, right? And then that's how you find out yeah. the limit in the first place. So, yeah, that's I think that's a basic psychological t- um, um, uh, treatment. And I, I, I find that point interesting. And to bring it back to uh, um, God and religion in general, even when I observe um, biblical stories or even the time when Jesus was on earth talking to people and the like, you find that in most cases, it almost seemed like God always made sure that the the evil person was heard, like the so-quote-unquote evil person or the person who was disputing what Jesus was trying to put across or disputing what his um, prophets were putting across. That person was always given the time and the space to be heard. The crowds were given the time to even go all the way to crucifying Jesus, right? Like it was, it was almost like I, 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 I still use up to now. I've started using, I've, I've started using the Bible almost as a, as a strategy book, right? So sometimes I look at things and I look at the indirectness of things. Like I can read, I can read the first chapter of um, Genesis over a course of a week because I'm I'm digesting every single little thing that he did in a different way. And one part that always that always comes up to me because we always have these conversations. He always allowed people to say what they needed to say, right? For him to fully understand and grasp what needed to be taught and unlearned and and the like, right? And mm-hmm. in our in our generation, that's feared so much. And even religion has now been structured to to not talk about those things like people people have addictions right people have hate in their hearts people have this people have that but that's not addressed directly because if it if it's not saved then maybe it doesn't exist you 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 know and um i think that's that's something that you keep coming back to that if you're if you're going to create a society you need to be aware that those things exist in order for you to fight them because if, if those people are not allowed to talk, then who are you fighting? And I was saying this even um, to my friend last night. It's a bit of a sensitive issue, right? The, the, the Black Lives Movement. It's a, it's a really sensitive issue. And there's, um, there's so much injustice and stuff that's been experienced over um, the, years, the years from slavery up until now and even before that, right? But what I was saying is, is that I feel like the people who are hateful 
still have to be allowed to speak for us to know exactly the extent to which we're dealing with hate. Because as it is, we are we are assuming a lot of hate is coming from this and coming from that. But the 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 hate I think even runs deeper than even we are aware of. And it's the same thing even with uh, other movements like uh, um, such as feminism, or um, the um, LGBTQ community where. For you to fundamentally change people's mindsets, you need to allow them to say what they want to say. And for you to look at it and say, this is, this is, this is crazy and get that hate, like get all that hate out for you to tackle it, if you get what I mean. Like we need to be mutually aware of the people who are empathizing with you as much as the ones that are, that are hating on you and get that out of the way for you to even create something. And um, my next question was going to be, can I can I um uh, yeah. expand on that? Comment yeah, like, on that? Yeah. yeah, Milton Milton Friedman, you know, said they push it to the limits. I think he was very much like on the million road of uh you know, you have to really go into the depths or you have to go deep into or you have to allow those who are even evil to speak so that you can test your own ethical mm. moral grounds. Anyway, I think this all stems from, you know, the, this nonsense that Rousseau and um, Foucault, terrible philosophers that have pushed for this, you know, postmodern philosophy. And mm. one of the things that I detest, and I think that's just, just is nonsensical about the postmodern philosophy is the notion that, okay, they take one thing that, okay, they, they get right the idea that there are lots of ways to interpret the world, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then, where they differ is now they say because there's so many there are infinite ways to interpret the world i think that's everyone can can agree to that but now because the infinite ways mm -hmm. to interpret the world there's no idea that is right and there's no idea that's wrong because everyone else has their own idea mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of the, the stuff mm -hmm. that we that most of these movements and the most of the ideology that we criticize these days coming from the radicals on the, the to the left persuasion is that idea that mm. because you know no idea no one's idea is better than the other or therefore uh, you you cannot say this because then if you if you try to if you try to enforce your idea you're just playing a power move because of that they see mm -hmm. everything through the lens of power everything is a power game mm -hmm. everything is mm -hmm. they don't they don't see people competing through realms of competence anymore like they don't see that person who got the job because he's better they see that person got the job because he's more powerful and therefore he forced his way into that job a very mm -hmm. wrong way to think because there's no system in history that has survived where it's based on power. I mean, that develops into, into tyranny and every system like that has collapsed. The fact that the American system has lasted so mm -hmm. long shows the extent to which it is legitimate to a, to a large degree. And anyway, uh, to go back to the point of the movements, yeah, I think this notion, I've realized it a lot even when I've spoken to people that it's almost like they dismiss an idea Particularly, you know, even even no matter how hard you've thought of it, no matter how hard you have, you know, come with evidence and stuff. Because I tried a, a lot to come up with as much evidence as I can with for any claim. It's almost this idea that oh, my claim is on the same level as yours, because you know we're all human and stuff like that. The humanist notions of psychology, which have their benefits too, but that's a very terrible way of looking at life. Because then, if you don't have an ideal, then what do you strive towards? And that's why a lot of people are. You know, there's this nihilistic tendency because if everything is the same, right, you have no way to go. Yeah, of which, like, I, the 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 aspect of the power thing, though, in terms of um, of ruling based on power, the thing you're talking about, how if if that's a system that stays in place and it becomes tyranny, I I I don't agree to it to a certain extent because I, and this was going to lead me to my next question. Right where I was going to ask you if de if development is part of the bigger plan, because we keep saying that we've run so far away from the natural human condition and what human beings need to function and the like. And then I keep asking myself as well, if that's part of the greater plan, like if we believe in um, a creator who created all of this and basically had an understanding of how we tick, this was probably lagging up here was probably a part of his plan. Right. But I was I was just going to say in reference to what you had said in terms of um, it becoming a like a tyrannical structure and therefore um, probably wouldn't exist for this long. I, however, believe in the evolution of systems, right? And I do believe that if any system sticks around long enough, it does become based on, it does become based on yeah. power. It's, it's no longer 
um, fair in the sense of like, oh, things can keep moving. And that's, that's, I think, what's happening now in America, the downfall that we're seeing of the American system, that it's now based on, like, ca- capitalism is no longer capitalism in a pure form. It's, it's been overtaken by um, other aspects of communism and aspects of this and that where the structures are no longer based on who's making more money and who's more talented and who's what and who's what. It's now based on this inter, like, who's more connected, who has... Um, whose father knows who, who's this, who's this. It's now completely based on what I think is it Marx who talks about social capital, right? And that's that's no longer the system that they had set up initially. It's no longer the system of capitalism. People criticize capitalism so much because they base America as an example. That is not capitalism at all anymore. That's now, that's not, that's, that's something different. And it's a system that is now based on power. And that is why the downfall, that's why we're foreseeing a downfall of it because it's over time, anything that lasts long enough easily becomes corrupted, right? And that results in us needing to move to something else or to evolve to something else. So I do think um, there's some value in saying that the American system is now based on power, the more I think about it, because it really is. It's no longer the the capitalist state that is started in this. It's no longer a state of, of pure anything. It's a state that's been corrupted by so many different aspects that it's just it's almost non-existence now and it's really there really needs to be something that completely flips even if we look at the money market like I I talk about the 2008 recession with so much pain because for me even coming from a a, the, the point of view of an economist they corrupted a free market they corrupted what free market is supposed to be you're supposed to get a reflection on your graphs. You're supposed to see certain numbers that reflect what the free market is doing. And you've corrupted even that, right? So we're at that point now where it's just whatever it's, it is on the surface is not actually true. And for sure, it has to evolve. But yeah, back to my question of whether or not development is part of a of a bigger plan. And this is like where... <laughs> how how we how we deal with that that yeah we're moving away from the human condition but we're definitely not going back like we can continue to have these conversations about how we've moved away from the human condition or how we've moved away but the truth is we're not going back to hunting and gathering times right so what aspects do we take on now in 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 society as it is and how do we deal with the with the growth still being realistic of the human nature aspects that are easier to be realistic about when you're hunting and gathering and you're in smaller societies. How do we do that in our globalized world? Um, I think, well, the the well, the first part about the um, about the American system. Right? Well, I'm gonna go to that one first. Well, I'm I'm more onto the political side, so economics-wise, honestly, I, mm-hmm. I only know the basics of yeah how they corrupted the free market and stuff. So, but the political system in America, honestly. It's mm-hmm. it's ingenious, really, in terms of its its ability to avoid that this, the level. I'm not saying it can't it, it can completely withstand tyranny, but it's a masterstroke in how to develop a system. So I'm I'm I have a lot of points in defense mm-hmm. of that. But then I think I'll I'll go I'll go to the sec- I'll go to the question you asked now. Um, uh, about sorry, can you repeat it again? I was thinking of the system thing. <laughs> um i was i was just asking if development is 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 part of the plan and um how yeah given that we say we've moved so far away from the natural condition and the like and how how do we deal with it now in in because we're not going back right like evolution you you move forward so we're not going back to hunting and gathering times it's not likely so how how do we Keep parts that are true to our nature within the globalized system that we now have of everything is interconnected. We can't have the like little subgroups that hunters and gatherers used to have that would keep them true to themselves. And like, how do we do that given the how, how do we implement all the stuff that we've been talking about over this episode through where we are now? Yeah. On an individual level, like on a collective level, do you mean like those systems and stuff? On a, on on both, like, and mm-hmm. I think individualism. Um, for me, indi- collectivism stems from individualism. So, how do we do it on an individual scale that translates to um, the greater part of society? Uh, okay. Um, on an individual perspective, I think 
one thing that we have lacked, well, I think the thing is, even the way we interpret the world, because, you know, America is such a huge cultural hegemon, whatever they do, generally countries tend to follow, which is inevitable given how influential mm-hmm. we are from like a militaristic and economic and cultural point of view. So a lot of countries, mm-hmm. I think America is actually one of the few countries, if I'm totally honest, that's actually struggling with, well, the Western countries as well, because they just, they develop, they develop so fast that they, that they're struggling to keep up, that the people are struggling to keep up. And I think, so it's not, well, the problem is not as bad as, uh, well, we think it is. To be honest, I think a lot of, most people are generally sensible, but it definitely yeah. has gotten worse since, you know, due to all, several factors, technological advancements, poor institutions, poor laws that have just simply um, put us back in this state of, you know, fear and constant anxiety and stuff. One thing Uh I think would be simply because you have, I think one thing that uh, people who implement laws, such as, you know, the uh, and the welfare state and, such these are destructive laws and also the 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 t9 law in america that's these laws it's it's such an impeachment it's such an impediment on freedom that and people don't even understand it because you know it's must in compassion that oh we care about our students therefore we want to avoid accidents uh-huh. it has it, it, it lacks a lot of you know psychological understanding of how people particularly uh young people function uh-huh. and it's must with this whole uh this whole uh parade of you know um compassion and empathy and, and all that stuff like oh we're trying to protect you and stuff one thing i think people need to understand one i think people under, underestimate each other a lot so one thing that this you know the black lives matter movement has taught me is that people mm-hmm. people have a lot of uh, hidden negative sentiments about others and i think they simply reflect their own you know insecurities and negative aspects of their own lives it's like people are trying are forcing out an enemy and it's as if racism is you know a left right and sense of when re- genuine racism is a is only seen on a very very small scale um that's that's internationally to be to be honest and um in terms of the development and what we can do one thing that you know um Zizek, if you listen or if you read mm-hmm. anything he says the fact that we have so much information now surely mean i think one thing people need to un- uh, the problem with technology is that we have a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. BuzzFe- BuzzFeed articles that are read by that are like written by like sixteen-year-olds or like people dropped out of college and actually no professional experience mm. in this field. And a they, lot of people are mainstreaming those ideas because you know they're yeah. catchy, they're simple and stuff. I think, um, yeah, it's a, it's a variety of things like technology because everything is so convenient now. People spend less time thinking. I remember. Right now, if you were to measure the memory, for example, of someone in this generation versus someone in the old generation, despite age, you mm. find a significant gap in how people um, mm. and uh, remember things. And you know, remembering is a huge part of um, complex learning and stuff. So I would definitely decrease our capacity for complex learning due to uh, technological advantage, uh, advances, and which means we also decrease the capacity of information that we can take. So. Really, in terms of that aspect of psychology, of trying to develop a deeper understanding of topics, it's a very difficult one to navigate. And I think universities have done a terrible... Universities are honestly to blame for most of what's happening right now. They have been ideologically enforcing ideas on students that have just essentially made people go out and become activists. So if we reorganized uh, universities to... Because... You'll find that since universities are generally run by bureaucracies, mm. a lot of them are left-leaning because people who the richer parts of the population tend to be left-leaning. Uh, so if you organize a university, or mm-hmm. if you dominate an organize a university, depending on a particular ideology, right? Chances are people are going to infuse their own biases because you know the arrogance of the academics and the arrogance of the mm-hmm. intellectuals just infuse into their learning, and they won't even know it, but they're doing it subconsciously. And if you have a generation of people that are already that suffer from you know a personality crisis because you know lack of struggle and technology and uh, develop and for all the reasons that we mentioned earlier, you're simply mm-hmm. gonna 
influence these people in ways that you don't even know that you're that you're doing and Mm -hmm. there's some part of me that thinks it's intentional because it's a political game but then also that's a very malevolent way of thinking and there's some parts of me that just think you know it's just people don't even know they're doing it because to them it comes so naturally so developing so improving our institutions to the extent where there's much more balance and much less controlled by bureaucracies i would guess in america in particular and improving policies i think psychologically Mm -hmm. and sociologically checking policies Mm -hmm. before one implements them is one thing that lacks there's lack of foresight in issues and lack of historical evidence when people are coming up with these things everything is Mm feelings-based and i think as much as that's necessary in motivating it's not necessary in sustaining so uh that I, I would say that's the like that's the bigger picture thing, and mm-hmm. then on the individual level, act, practicing I, critical I, thinking. I personally I guess, agree with that, you that, on that. Lacks a lot. And um, I, yeah. we'll 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 just start rounding up now. And I personally agree with you in the sense that it's very intentional. Like for for me, nothing, for me, nothing is not is 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 not deliberate because, it's, it's, especially when it comes to um, the the things that seem like they're movements for change, they always they they're always rooted in this lack of um, realism, right? Like or, or this lack of practicality that I struggle with, and I think that's what you keep coming back to. Of they're not rooted in the in the human psyche. Like for example, they the the other day, I I it's it it wasn't the best thing for me to hear or the best thing for me to accept but i was having a conversation with one of my friends and he was he was literally like i was listening to a youtube video and the guy was talking about how if um to reduce the the most effective way to reduce killings right is probably getting all the people on life insurance right that's why life insurance companies will actually start advocating for the police not to kill you right which is it's like it's 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 one of those things that when you hear you're like oh god so we need to put money um we need to put money on on someone for you to value them right but realistically speaking if we put our emotions aside it makes sense because the way the world is structured now has come to that point where everything is measured in in money right and it's 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 painful to admit to to yourself or to ourselves that that's how like that's how far gone we probably are right but the point i'm trying to make is is that denial of that reality is as de- is as deliberate as sustaining those systems that you think are unfair do you know what i mean so it's 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 one of those things that i i feel like mm-hmm. it's been structured that way very deliberately for you to think a certain way and for you to only surround yourself with with those thoughts for, uh, in order for you to stay in a certain position and feel like you're doing something because no one feels like they're just sitting on their asses and not changing anything. People do feel like they're doing something, but I think it's designed to make you feel like that. It's designed to make you feel like um, yeah. your advocacy is making a change when it's actually not. And and the the evidence shows itself. We've been doing this for, for years and years and very little, like there's very little changes that happen. It's like, there's one little step that gets everyone excited and then we go back to our lives like nothing happened. Then a few months later, we also have this thing and and, and it's used as a big, big marketing tool for the most part to generate more money for the likes of Jeff Bezos were able to say that they are standing up behind you, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? It's just very fickle and flimsy and whatever. So I really do believe all of it is, all of it is very deliberately set up. However, I think we just need to be more, if you're, if you're honest with that, with the deliberateness of the setup or the, did I even say, is that even a word, deliberateness? Anyway, if, if, if we're more honest with that, like how deliberate these things probably are and we're just more honest with the fact that even in ourselves, sometimes we don't truly completely believe the stuff that we're talking about, then I think only then do we actually create things that are founded on something and then only then does development that that you start seeing become part of your plan as well, as much as it's part of a bigger plan for people in power or the institutions that are running and the like. And yeah, that's like that was the the, <laughs> the one final comment that I had on that. I don't know if you have anything you want to conclude with.
Yeah, I think that the point you said was good. Like, uh, the systems and stuff that people are implementing mm-hmm. are not based on the human psyche, yeah, but based and, on what they um, want the psyche. I guess to be. the the gaps so, show, yeah. and I don't, I don't, I don't know what is needed to to bring those two together, but it's it generally shows, and I think that's why even uh, um, like to to summarize the topic in general, that's why we we're struggling even with with god versus religion because i think god represents a more realistic version of this and then re- religion represents a more society pleasing um keeping maintaining of structure type image and trying to bring those together is difficult and it's going to be difficult for a long time but i've seen i've seen some positive changes in 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 the way preachings have been happening and like the 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 more practical Christianity. So I, I have some hope towards that, like that and I'll be exploring it more over the course of the podcast with other guests. And yeah, I just thank you so much, Denzel, for coming on to share your thoughts with us and for being brave enough to put um what you think out there. And I hope we'll be able to see you on some future episodes with other topics and maybe other guests as well. Uh, thank you, Michelle. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to more podcasts in the future. Yeah, and if you've been listening up until now, um, do follow us on Instagram and on and feel free to DM or comment in terms of any opinions that you have. And we hope to see you on the coming episodes. Bye.